You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. This one verse is so powerful. This one verse is so important to us. When Jesus looks and says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. He didn't stop there. Because the next statement he made was even bolder than the statement before it. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. How do we get close to our Heavenly Father? Today, Pastor Dave reminds us that no one gets to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is our perfect example of God in human form, full of grace and truth. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he begins his message, Jesus is the way. During the Battle of Waterloo, everybody's familiar with the Battle of Waterloo, where Wellington went against Napoleon. But during the Battle of Waterloo, England waited patiently for news of the outcome of the battle. If Wellington could not defeat Napoleon, England would have a very frightening future. Their future would be entirely different than it is today. So they waited for the news. Now, as they were awaiting now, remind you, it's not like today. Today I can text you with news or you can turn on the TV and you can watch a war on TV as it transpires. The news is instantaneous, but it wasn't that way back in that day. They had to wait around for hours, sometimes days. As the signals were sent semaphore to semaphore down the line, And then once it got to the final resting place, someone who had a trained eye had to decipher the message, and then they were able to deliver the message that was given. Well, this was what was happening in England during the time of this great battle, this well-known battle between the armies of England and the armies of France. Wellington wanted to stop Napoleon. Well, finally, from atop Winchester Cathedral, I know there was a song, don't go there, Atop of Winchester Cathedral, there came news that the the battle had been decided. And everybody's eyes were focused on what was going on. And they just couldn't wait to see what the news was. And they all held their breath because the message was now being deciphered and it was about to be shown to the people. And they were very, very excited. Like I said, the entire balance of England was holding there. The first word came across, Wellington. Okay, everybody's eyes were glued. When the second word came, everybody's heart dropped. It said, defeated. Just then, a fog rolled in, and that was all the message they had. They could no longer decipher the semaphore code, and so they were without a message. They said they didn't know if it was the end of the message or if there was still more. 
People scurried home to pack, to leave England. Would England be evaded? Would Napoleon come and destroy England? What was going to happen to our beloved England? They were very, very worried. A lot of the crowd gathered, and they huddled around, and they waited for the next transmission, if there would be some. But the second transmission came as the fog lifted, as the fog flowed away, and two more words came. Two more words that made the message complete, that made everybody sigh of relief. And those words were the enemy. So the total message was, Wellington defeated the enemy. And a huge roar went up. England would be saved. These two little words appeared and gave them the complete message. These two words made all the difference between England having freedom and England being ruled by an emperor. You know, not having the whole story can be frightening sometimes. It can lead to serious misunderstanding and it can lead to grave problems. Likewise, not having the whole story about Jesus could lead to everlasting darkness and it could lead to eternal separation from God. There's a beautiful passage that's been on my heart lately and it's very, very beautiful. I've used it several times before and, and it really struck me as I was working on this message And basically, this is what the message is built around. Um, You probably know it by heart. It's a gorgeous passage in John 14. It's the first six verses of John 14. Six verses. Often used, often talked about. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is speaking now. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, or how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These beautiful words. But what if Jesus had walked away after verse 4? What if Jesus had just left after he said that, after he dropped that bomb? You know where I'm going and you know the way. And he walked away. Well, what if Thomas had never asked that question? What if Thomas, the person who always gets the, the, the rap for being a doubter, but I believe he was just a skeptic. I don't believe he was truly a doubter. What if Thomas had never said, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't don't know the way. I see a picture here of the disciples hanging on every single word that their Savior said, hanging on every single word, and they were listening intently with anticipation because they knew what was coming out of his mouth was truth. And they knew that when he spoke, you were supposed to listen because what was going to happen was going to be life-changing, life-altering. It was going to be true life. They listened to every word. If you know the passages beforehand, you know what had happened. And prior to this, Jesus had just told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the the cock crows. Before that, he announced that there was a betrayer among them. Before that, he washed feet of the disciples. Before that, he broke the bread and drank the wine, celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. Before that, he told them that the time had come for him to be glorified. That he wouldn't be around. He was going to the Father. And they would see him just for a little while longer. So all this was going through their heads. 
They had heard all these things. And Jesus looked into their face and he saw that they were troubled, saw that they were hurting, saw that they were afraid. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on to explain to them that, you know, in, his, in my father's house there are many mansions. And, you know, they can do a whole study on that. But can you imagine the thoughts going through their heads? They didn't have the complete story. They, they weren't sure. If Jesus had walked away right then, they wouldn't have known what was really going on. They wouldn't really know the way or wouldn't know how things were working out. It was just like the fog that rolled in that day when they were waiting for the news of Wellington. It would, it would have been just like that. They would have been without hope. They would have been without knowledge. They were confused because they didn't know the way. They didn't know which way to go. But Jesus told them, don't be afraid. He told them to believe. He told them clearly, and he summed up everything in one verse. This one verse is so powerful. This one verse is so important to us. When Jesus looks and says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't stop there. Because the next statement he made was even bolder than the statement before it. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, I love to do studies on Greek words. We have a lot of that today. The Greek word used here for way is hados. And it means road or route. It also means mode or means. Jesus is saying that he's the only highway to heaven. Jesus is saying that the only means he can get to God. He's the only mode of transportation that you can get to God is through him. And I love David Guzik when he says, in, regarding verse 6, he says this, quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In light of soon events, this declaration is a paradox. Jesus' way would be the cross. He would be convicted by blatant liars. His body would soon lie lifeless in a tomb. Because he took that way, he is the way to God. Because he did not contest the lies, we can believe that he is the truth. And because he was willing to die, he becomes a channel of resurrection, the life to us. But what if we only knew some of that message? What, what if we only knew some of that part? What, what if we didn't know that Jesus was the way to forgiveness of sins? What if we didn't know that Jesus was the way to eternal life? What if we didn't know the complete message? What if we only had part of it? See, there are those happy motivational preachers today who just give out part of the message. They, they just give out, and they want everybody to be happy. They want to be everybody to be, oh, let's just all get along, and they, and, and they don't hit repentance. They don't hit sin. They certainly don't mention hell. Some even teach that Jesus is the way to prosperity. Some don't even mention salvation by faith alone, but they have a salvation that's based on works. They don't give a complete message because they fail to mention the sin, the repentance, and hell. They fail to mention that grace through faith, they fail to mention the way to eternal life to God is with Jesus Christ. They're nothing more like that fog rolling in that day, and they're preventing others from knowing the truth. As we look at our text this morning, we see the Apostle Paul going back into the synagogue of Ephesus. It says in verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Here we see Paul going back into the synagogue, and he begins to speak to the Jews. 
As he goes into the synagogue, he begins to reason with them. There are several words, like I said, that I want to look at, beginning with the word boldly. In the Greek, this is a mouthful, and I've broken it down into syllables. Par, pre, si, ad, zom, ahi. Say that six times. It means to be frank. It means to be bold in your preaching or your speaking. It also means to be confident in the spirit. I like that. Second, we see the word reasoning. Now, we've talked about the word reasoning before, and it simply means di-al-eg-om-ahi, where we get our word dialogue. It means a dispute. In fact, some of your translations may say dispute. The word also means to say thoroughly, to discuss by argument, and to preach unto. And lastly, we see the word persuade. And in the Greek, it's pytho, which means to convince by argument. So let's put all this together according to our text. Paul spoke about the things pertaining to God, and we see him speaking confident in the spirit. He's arguing with the Jews, and he's boldly preaching, disputing their claims to know God by the law and convincing them about the kingdom of God. I have to ask myself a question when I read this. What did Paul tell them about the kingdom of God that they did not already know? These were learned men. They were in the synagogue. They were learning about the Bible. They knew. But I believe, first of all, Paul could tell them that the Messiah had come. He could tell them that the Messiah had come. He had walked among them. He had suffered and had died on a cruel Roman cross. But God raised him from the dead, and now he has ascended into heaven where he sits on the right hand of the Father. And by placing their faith in him, that they could receive the forgiveness of sin, they could be reconciled to God, and they could have eternal life. Oh yeah, one other thing. The Messiah's name is Jesus. I think that's what Paul was doing those days. But I don't think these Jews got the whole picture. They were in the fog, so to speak. They were only getting half the story. And as I studied these verses, I zeroed in on the one word. And you can see the word as we look at verse 9. You can see that word I zeroed in on. And to get a glimpse of what Paul was telling us, let's look at this. It says, but some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. They spoke evil of the way. Their hearts became hard as Paul was telling them the way to eternal life. Scripture tells us that Paul spent three months there. Three months as he declared Christ and him crucified. For three months he declared that Jesus was the only way, the truth, and the life. Paul told them that Jesus Christ was the only way to God. And I'm sure he didn't tell them that it was by keeping the law. I'm sure he didn't tell them that it was by circumcision. I'm sure that he told them it was by faith alone. And I'm sure he said that the only way to God was by faith. The only way to God was to accept God's grace, the gift of salvation... Believe upon Jesus by faith and believe that Jesus came to reconcile the world back to God, which was the Messiah's job. There's this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians of Paul's writing to the Corinthian church for the second time in, in chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. You may know the first verse, but let's listen to the rest. Beginning in verse 17 of chapter 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love verse 17. I love the promise. It says, if anybody be in Christ, if anyone be in Christ. And the Greek word for anyone means anyone, all, whosoever, whosoever. This is a promise for anyone who is in Christ. This is not a promise for someone who is in themselves. This is not a promise for someone who is in the religion of men or someone who is in something else or someone else. It's a promise for those who are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. These men in the synagogue knew that in order to be reconciled with God, they thought they must obey the commandments of God. They must be blameless. They must obey the traditions of their fathers. That's what they thought. Knowing this, I'm sure Paul told them that the only way to forgiveness of sin was through Jesus Christ. Paul told these men that by faith in Christ is the only solution for the problem that has plagued man ever since Adam. One problem that we all face ever since Adam, it's called sin. And I'm sure Paul told him that as the problem that we have faced and that Christ is the only solution for that problem. The problem is sin. You know the Romans road. Paul said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But sin leads to another problem. It's another problem that we will all face. It's another problem that we are all destined to see. And that problem is death. Because Paul declared in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I'm sure Paul told them that Christ became sin. He, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we could be reconciled to God. Christ became sin for us. But then I can see Paul telling them that there's a way out of sin. There's a way out from your sin. There's a way to God. And the way to forgiveness of sin and the way to eternal life is Jesus Christ. He says that at the end of 623 in Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So through Jesus, God provides forgiveness of sin. It's a way to forgiveness of sin. We studied Ephesians 1, verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The apostle John writes in his first epistle in 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be reconciled with God. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way to the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the way to eternal life. It's that simple. But Jesus is the way to so much more. So much more. I hate to use my favorite cliche, but all this and salvation too. We spoke last week about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the way to the Holy Spirit. 
We read in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you in remembrance of all things that I said to you. You know, Jesus didn't have a fortune to leave his followers, but he gives them a gift that can't be bought, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Jesus is the way to our comfort. Jesus is the way to the Holy Spirit. You see where this passage is going. You see where I'm going with all this. Jesus is the way to our peace. In Ephesians 2, 14, Paul says, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. He's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus actually says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Or he said it again. Jesus gives his presence as peace. The commentator A. Kempis said, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. You desire peace? Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants to have that peace. How many defeated lives would buy the power of the Holy Spirit if they could? How many distraught souls would buy the peace of Jesus if they could? These can't be bought, but Jesus gives them as gifts to his people. He is the way to the Holy Spirit. He is the way to peace. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. He comforts us when we have these problems in our lives, these words that come as meaningful, these comforting, let not your heart be troubled. These gifts don't grant us exemption from troubles and storms, but these gifts promise us that we're going to have power and peace in the midst of the storm. We're not exempt from storms. We're not exempt from trials, from problems. But if you have Christ, you have peace in the midst of the trial. You have peace in the midst of the storm as he's ever with you. Is your heart troubled today? Is your heart broken today for some reason? Do you need the comfort of Jesus Christ in your life today for something going on in your life? Do you need the peace that only he can give to you today in your life? It can only be found in Jesus Christ because he is the way to peace. He is the way of our peace. No, in fact, he is our peace. As we struggle in this life, there come times when we, we need that comfort, when we need that peace, because life is so difficult, and it's so hard, and we get downtrodden, and we don't understand why things happen. Why do good things happen to good people? And why do bad things happen to bad people? But bad things happen to good people too. Why is there death? Why do people have to die? Why is there sickness? We get tangled up in these things. But Christ is our answer to these things. Christ is the answer and wants to comfort us. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said. Don't be troubled about these things. I said earlier that some people preach that Jesus is the way to a better life, and they're right. They're right when they preach that part of it. Jesus is the way to a better life. He said in John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, to destroy, speaking of the devil, Satan. But I, Jesus said, have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. He doesn't promise us a life of luxury or wealth, but he assures us that the Father cares for his children. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Thank you.